0: Hello and welcome to the Respiratory Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dwight Chairman of the Respiratory Institute at Cleveland Clinic. This podcast is intended for healthcare providers and covers topics related to respiratory health and disease. My colleagues and I will be interviewing experts about timeless and timely topics in the areas of pulmonary, critical care, allergy, sleep, and infectious disease. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Respiratory Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Raid Wake, the chairman of the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. My guest today is Dr. Kristen England. Uh, Dr. England is the vice chair of infectious disease at the Cleveland Clinic, and she's also the founder and the director of our uh, post-COVID recovery clinic. So, uh, Kristen, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Dwight. Yeah. I appreciate it.
0: So I really just want to start by thanking you for establishing this Recover Clinic that's designed to take care of long COVID patients. This is a huge need, and I hope today we'll be able to cover some of that, You know, and the, the reason you started the clinic and then how it works, et cetera. So can you start by telling us about what is like post-COVID of this long COVID? We hear the term a lot these days, and can you tell us more about what it is?
1: So absolutely. I think this is a syndrome that was initially referred to as being long hauler or post COVID. And the patients will tell you that they're not post anything. They're really in the midst of still dealing with the results of this terrible disease. So it's being referred to as long COVID. And uh, if you look at, say, the NIH or some of the national reporting and World Health Organization, they'll tell you that it's called the post-acute SARS-CoV-2 syndrome. So they'll call it PASC, P-A-S-C. So that's how it's referred to in, in most of our literature. But basically, if patients are expected to take about three to four weeks to fully recover from COVID itself, I mean, this is a terrible disease. And it's not something that you can get over in just a few days. So it's expected that most people will take three to four weeks. But if symptoms persist beyond that time period, then that is something that we're now calling long COVID. So the symptoms can be a wide variety of symptoms because this disease affects almost every organ system.
0: Wow, that's so. Basically, for professionals out there, if somebody is still experiencing symptoms after a month, four weeks to a month, then that's the time to start thinking: Are they having long COVID or post COVID? Is that about right?
1: Absolutely, and and these symptoms can be just a, a wide variety of things. So, the biggest one that we are seeing is certainly fatigue. So, patients will have fatigue during their acute COVID illness, but that's going to persist. Some patients can have some persistent shortness of breath, a feeling of breathlessness when they're exerting themselves, chest pain, that sense of loss of smell will persist for some folks. There can be what we are determining as brain fog, so patients are having problems with Kind of higher cognitive issues, so it's it's not just a little bit of some brain fuzziness, but they are having trouble with attention deficits. And for you know your accountants, they're having trouble just with the simplest of of, of addition and, and management of numbers, and then word finding issues and and overall inability to be able to to do some of the simplest of of um, activities of daily living. So inability to cook take care of their children without feeling like they're missing something. So this can have a great impact on society if patients are unable to be able to handle their work appropriately, take care of their children, take care of themselves. So these can be quite devastating. Patients can also have a number of psychiatric complications. We know that patients who have been hospitalized can, especially if they've been in the intensive care unit, can you know, suffer from PTSD. We're seeing some of that in our patients, but mostly we're seeing symptoms of anxiety and depression because they're really having difficulty returning back to their normal, very active lifestyles. Other kinds of symptoms that we're seeing, persistent GI upset with diarrhea because the nerves of the autonomic system are being dysregulated by either the virus or the inflammation. So you can see, again, the diarrheal-type symptoms. You can see some urinary retention as you see, it's really affecting wow, this every organ. It
0: affects almost every organ system. And you mentioned being hospitalized in the ICU. Do you have to be in the ICU or in the hospital to get post-COVID? Or even those with milder disease can get post-COVID?
1: Yeah. So what we're finding is that, frankly, the majority of people with long COVID are actually those who have not been hospitalized. So even mild to moderate disease can have long-term lasting effects. And some of our studies are showing that patients at three to four months are starting to develop new symptoms.
0: Wow. So how common is this? You know, you know, as you know, COVID has been a huge epidemic, uh, COVID itself, you know, how big is this post COVID phenomenon?
1: Yeah. So we've got studies from all over the world. This is not something unique to the United States. This is definitely something they're seeing all over the world. And, and early studies looked at, you know, nearly 70% of patients having symptoms out at three months as we're starting to get more time with patients. A very recent study came out of China, which was able to look at patients a year out from their hospitalization. Now, these are hospitalized patients, so they had a more difficult disease process early on. But for those hospitalized a year out, 46% were still suffering from some symptom. So it could have been any of that list of symptoms, but most, the, the most prevalent one was fatigue. Most studies are actually showing, for those who were not hospitalized and hospitalized, a mix anywhere between probably 20 and 30% of patients still persisting with symptoms. And these symptoms in one study are, are lasting. You know, the Chinese study showed it out a year, but we're being confirmed with many studies that these are persisting at least 36 months.
0: That's huge. So having knowing that millions of people have you know, contracted COVID, that means millions will be having this post-COVID problem.
1: So when you look at the numbers here, we've had 44 million patients with COVID in the United States alone. So, let's say just even a, you know, let let's say 10% of that, that's still 4 million. If you get closer to 30%, that's 12 million people wow. in this country who are going to be dealing with this you know and as i mentioned it's it's it can be really affecting people's abilities to return to work their dependence upon friends and family to help you know take care of them for their for their activities of daily living and you know then you talk about the need for behavioral health because these people are getting depressed because they can't return to care or they can't return to their normal life
0: Yeah, and we know that at least initially COVID seemed to spare children and most of the COVID pandemic affected adults. Now we know that even children can get COVID, can even get severe COVID. Is that true for post-COVID also or are they different?
1: So that's probably one of the most unfortunate is that we are seeing reports of long COVID in children one of the reports out of the United Kingdom most recently noted about 15% of kids anywhere from the age of two up to 17 were starting to see symptoms of post-COVID at about three months.
0: Oh. So uh, why does this happen? Do we have any explanation why some people get post-COVID and others don't and why people get it in the first place?
1: Well, we're, we're trying to figure that one out, Dr. Dwayne. I will tell you, the, the NIH has put a lot of money and are going to be putting a lot of money into studies of this across the country and, and, and frankly, across the world. But what we're seeing is that you know, the average age is about 50 that we're seeing, although that may start to be skewed down lower when we look at the number of younger people who are getting affected by the Delta variant. So it's not simply our, our eldest we only see adults in the recover clinic and our youngest patient is 18 and our oldest patient was 87 so it really does span all age groups we're seeing it in a little bit more of a prevalence in in women and we're seeing folks who are are heavier in weight so with the if you have a body mass index of greater than 30, you tend to have more of a tendency for long COVID. And that was confirmed by our research paper coming out of our endocrinology department here that if you were severe or only moderately obese, there was about a 30% chance that you were going to develop greater chance that you would develop long COVID.
0: Yeah, we've seen that, you know, I've been seeing patients in the ICU also, it's a risk for acute COVID as well. In high, uh, And of course, like the obesity epidemic kind of preceded the COVID pandemic, so it's almost like a setting the stage for all these people to get really sick and then also uh, have the sequela of COVID. So it's an unfortunate combination here.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so I know you established our Recover Clinic, which is designed specifically to address taking care of these patients with all the complex symptoms that you just mentioned earlier to me. So how are you evaluating these patients in your Recover Clinic?
1: So we're trying to do this in a, in, in a clear scientific way. So when patients are first referred to the Recover Clinic, we do ask that they have a positive PCR test. So we know that we're dealing with patients who, who have covid and who have post-COVID. Unfortunately, there's kind of a spectrum uh, that post-COVID follows where it can be confused with chronic fatigue syndrome that can be due to many other things. So we really wanted to look at patients who had post-COVID so that when we look at the data, we know that we're really dealing with this true syndrome. So folks who are at least 28 days past their COVID diagnosis with the PCR and who have persistent symptoms of any kind are being referred to us by any of the physicians within the Cleveland Clinic system. And we're taking them into a a, a centralized uh, uh, clinic, uh, the Recover Clinic down at Independence, where basically patients are going through kind of a drill of of a, a lot of different questions about their time course during their hospitalization or if they were not hospitalized about their course of symptoms. We've got information from them whether they had some of these symptoms beforehand and they were worsened or if this is just something that's persisted or if they've recovered from some symptoms but not from others. We've also asked for the patients to fill out some objective findings as well. So these are anxiety, depression, PTSD scoring systems that come up on their MyChart as well as sleep quality and and quality of life studies as well. So with that, we've got some, some again, some good objective evidence as well. We've asked patients then to also go through some blood testing and also certain other testing, like getting an EKG because we know COVID can affect the heart, getting an echocardiogram for the same reason, and also doing our pulmonary function tests to see if we're finding abnormalities. The reason for this is that, you know, the biggest complaint, as I've already mentioned, is that patients will come in complaining of fatigue that's such a generalizable symptom. So is it due to hypoxemia? Is it due to depression? Is it due to cardiac dysfunction? Is it due to some inflammatory markers? So we're really trying to do a kind of a global study to figure out what most of these symptoms are. So once we get these lab tests back and these other studies, depending upon what the patient's symptoms are, we refer them down a number of 18 care pathways. We have been able to reach out across all institutes and really virtually all departments and be able to find a specialist in each of those areas who said, hey, I want to be the, the clinic's long COVID expert. And in some areas, there are multiple ones, you know, in cardiology and pulmonary and our, and some of our other neuropsych, we've had to engage a number of experts. And they are truly becoming national experts on this disease entity. And it's been wonderful to see them really embrace these patients. Take, you know, any one patient may need three, four, five referrals to different people to be able to specifically deal with the pathology that they're dealing with. But these specialists have been able to really dig in and and develop their own care paths for Evaluating these patients, but then also starting to develop some real treatment protocols as far as how to be able to help patients get through and deal with the, the disease process that they have. I wish there was a single pill. I wish there was a, a silver bullet that we could be able to offer, but currently there's not. We're still trying to understand why this is happening and the underlying pathology, that's leading to this, but for right now, until that time comes, we're having to deal with each of the patients based upon their their clinical syndromes.
0: You mentioned my chart, uh, which is the patient facing version of our electronic health record, so uh, it's good to see that you are leveraging that. Are there any other ways you are leveraging the electronic health record uh, in, in the evaluation of these patients?
1: well. Certainly through the efforts of of uh, Dr. Laura Jahai, who has the overall enterprise COVID database, we are gathering data on our first 924 patients. We've seen thus far over 1,000, but in gathering the data on our first patients, we're, we're utilizing her to be able to pull some of that data from it. Also using the assistance of Dr. Irene Katzen, who runs the patient-entered data information she is uh, also helping us to be able to then leverage that patient-entered data for follow-up visits so we can reach out to our patients at 3, 6, and 9 months to start to gather how these patients are doing once they've gone down these care paths. We typically will evaluate them, send them down their care paths, and then have these patients work with their primary care doctors to address and follow up on anything that the specialists have, have found and are offering. But we do want to circle back from the Recover Clinic itself to make sure that you know, patients are, are progressing well down their pathway. And if they're not, we need to learn. We need to make sure that we're addressing all of their needs. Yeah, I like
0: the way you named the clinic Recover, I think. It's, hopeful. it's a hopeful name, so it's good to hear. But is there hope for these patients? What can we do for them to help? It's a new disease, clearly a new entity. Even acute COVID, when it started, we struggled, you know, what works for it, what doesn't work. We had to follow the science, do clinical trials. What can we do to help these patients with long COVID or post-COVID?
1: Well, first of all, I think what patients will express when they come to our recover clinic is that they're grateful for the validation. You know, they they have been told too many times just get off the couch, get back to work, come on, do do what you need to do, get over it. And that's that's really <laughs> not realistic for these folks. I mean, this is this is real. This is something that we because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not something that we need to deal with and address. So for patients to be able to come to a clinic that says, hey, we, we, we want to help you, we're learning how to better help you, but but we want to listen to you and, and hear about what you're going through, I think patients are, are, are truly grateful for for having that validation, as, as, as I mentioned. So that is part of it. Through our integrative and functional medicine teams they are also developing longer courses of treatment so these shared medical appointments so kind of sharing the experience with eight nine or 10 other patients who are undergoing this and and they have weekly topics that they're dealing with so let's talk about you know sleep you know Long COVID definitely affects sleep. Let's understand that it affects it, and let's start talking about how you can make plans to be able to overcome that and get a better sleep pattern and and why that's important. They talk about diet. They talk about slowly progressing in your exercise program. Patients, when they they, they have these cyclical patterns, so they may feel really good one day, and think, oh, fantastic, I'm gonna clean my whole house because it's a mess and I haven't been able to do that for weeks and then they pay for it the next couple of days because you have just exhausted all of that energy and then you just get fatigued over the next couple of days and and that's, that's so frustrating for these patients. I was privileged enough to be able to listen in on a patient support group out of the Edwin Shaw Rehab Hospital and these are folks who've been recovering for Golly, some of them a year since their first diagnosis, and and they they clearly share that that this is something that is you know you you, you feel great, you may go out for a a hike uh, you know down in Hawking Hills with your spouse to get out and try to feel back to normal, and then they know they're going to be down for a couple of days, and I I think that can be uh, very disheartening and very depressing to to realize that that. Um, that it's not fully back there yet. You're not back to normal.
0: Yeah, it says, uh, yeah thank you. Well, that makes sense, I think, for COVID and other areas. You know, some of these uh, approaches are common sense, even with other chronic illnesses. It seems like long COVID shares some of these characteristics as well. You mentioned in your evaluation part that you send them down different care paths and specialties. You know, uh, Can you share with us what these specialties can do, maybe the specific specialties
1: Oh, absolutely. Some of our very early adopters were cardiology, and they have developed very specific care paths. So, if people are having chest pain, they will, you know, work them up in in certain ways. Whether it's potentially looking at a cardiac MRI to see if they're having my- evidence of myocarditis, certainly we have a, a lot of symptoms from our patients, which which is POTS, so the postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and that needs to be evaluated with a tilt table test and then based upon the findings of that if people do have this postural tachycardia symptoms i mean they're at risk for getting dizzy and falling so they they do have formalized treatment plans that are available for these patients whether it be pharmacologic treatment, whether it be, again, exercise planning or increasing their salt intake compression stockings, there's a lot of different things that can be offered at least for that part of the syndrome to help them just basically be able to survive and and return back to somewhat of a, a normal exercise life pattern. Our sleep study group has been exceptionally active in, in really trying to understand the insomnia and sleep irregularities of our patients. And they do sleep studies on our patients and then you know, really help to modify their sleep patterns. Our neurocognitive team does very formalized neurocognitive testing on our patients to try and help them to understand with then brain rehabilitation how to get patients to be able to get back to their, their cognitive baselines. Certainly our pulmonary team is exceptionally active, and, and Michelle Beal and, and Samar Farha have been ex- exceptionally active in getting patients, whether they've been in the intensive care unit through the, the PERC or the, the post-ICU recovery clinic, or whether it's through just the generalized pulmonary department and getting patients to be able to get their cough evaluated, the persistent shortness of breath, and And some of that treatment may be down through pulmonary rehab programs, it may be specialized treatment for the interstitial lung disease that is persisting, or just understanding some of the the cough evaluation and and treatments that need to be done. So it's it's an active group, and each of them have a very specialized care path that they're offering to our patients.
0: That's wonderful. This is definitely one of the major strengths of the Cleveland Clinic is having these highly specialized groups of people. So leveraging that strength as well for the recovery clinic is is amazing. I'm glad you're able uh, to do that.
1: Such a wonderful, absolutely wonderful group of colleagues. They They have truly embraced this and dug in and they're doing remarkable work.
0: So is there a role for the vaccine? You know, there's a lot of talk about uh, vaccination for acute COVID, preventing acute COVID. Does it help in either preventing or treating uh, long or post-COVID?
1: So as far as preventing long COVID, you know, I, I, I think we're going to hear more about breakthrough infections as we move forward. A couple of anecdotal cases that patients have had the vaccine and then had a secondary case, but those numbers are are few and far between at this point in time. So if patients have long COVID and then get the vaccine, there were some early reports that that may help with their symptoms. I've not seen a lot more other than those early reports, so I'm I'm not certainly not seeing that it's worsening patients long COVID symptoms, but it may not be the effective treatment that we had initially thought that it might be. I still recommend that patients with long COVID get their vaccine because certainly if they're, if they're having symptoms, we don't want them to get infected again. So I, I'm still strongly recommending that, but not for treatment purposes, but for prevention of another infection. So overall with your
0: evaluation and treatment approach, uh, how are patients doing? Do you have any patient stories or any particular thoughts or the outcome on how we are doing in, in helping these patients?
1: Well, again, we're, we're we're hearing that patients are happy that we have this process on board certainly when they're going through our our integrative and functional medicine process they are reporting that they are are feeling a lot of strength and support based upon the oh kind of the support group process that you get, that you get with a shared medical appointment absolutely we are hearing that through the physical therapy process that patients are getting much more stable and comfortable with their ability to function independently in their homes so instead of feeling that that fear i mean if if you're weak and you fall then you're afraid that you're going to fall again so you start to feel you know it's just that it's, it's a fear of falling cycle so with our very detailed physical therapy groups, they're able to get people to return to a comfortable level where they're no longer afraid of of living alone and, and functioning independently within their home. So we're getting uh, certainly great reports from each of the specialty teams of the successes that they're finding, especially with the patients who are having POTS syndrome, that it's it's a long haul. Again, there's no easy, quick way. It's going to take time, but by following each of these treatment paths, whether it be the physical therapy and, and, and returning safely to, to home or or getting over the POTS symptoms or learning how to deal better with the POTS symptoms, patients are certainly seeing recovery.
0: That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. England, for sharing your insights with us about post-COVID. Uh, and let's try to summarize some of the maybe takeaways from your remarks is that uh, post-COVID is a real problem. It's a common problem. You know, up to 20 or 30% of patients can get it. And you can get it whether you had mild or more uh, severe disease. That still you believe that prevention is the key, you know, prevention of Covid and post-Covid, as vaccination is still our main uh, mainstay in, in that, and uh, that really approach to the treatment rec- requires a multidisciplinary approach, like you've established in your clinic. Anything else you'd like to add to share with our listeners before we wrap this up?
1: No, I very much appreciate your allowing me to get this information out. Again, I think it's so important for everyone to realize that when you're when you when you have a loved one or a friend or a colleague who is suffering from this, you know, it it is something that is real. They're trying to get back to their life. Nobody wants to be, you know, living a a, less than full life. So be patient and be supportive.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kristen. And thank you all for listening to this podcast. My guest today was Dr. Kristen England, the Vice Chair of Infectious Disease and the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. And she has recently established the post COVID Recover Clinic and uh, leads the efforts uh, of the Cleveland Clinic in that area. Thank you so much for your insights, Kristen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Respiratory Exchange. For more stories and information from Cleveland Clinic Respiratory Institute, You can follow us on Twitter at Klee Clinic Lungs or follow me at TryDwakeMD. Thank you.